You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Horn Frogs, your daily TCU podcast. I'm Stephen Simcox, your host, and let's hit the ground running with some recruiting talk. Early signing day is Wednesday. Um, basically, as we sit here on Monday morning, technically, the coaching staffs are not supposed to communicate with these student athletes. Um, we're entering a dead period for a couple of weeks in the recruiting calendar. So, um, basically, TCU and this new staff, they have done just about everything they can uh, as far as, you know, making a pitch to these young men before the early signing period. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that they won't get any more commits before the early signing period. doesn't mean that they won't end up with, uh, right now as I'm recording this, they have seven commits for the 2022 class. They could have 10 or 11 by the time Wednesday rolls around. I don't know. I just know that's where they stand right now, and supposedly they're not supposed to really be in communication with these players um, for the time being. However, TCU had a big recruiting weekend. They had a lot of visitors on campus, and they got a new commit from Kyron Chambers, who is a cornerback, three-star cornerback from uh, South uh, Oak Cliff in Dallas. And Oak Cliff is having a really great season. They're going to play for a state title at AT&T Stadium later this week. It's a big deal for Dallas ISD schools. First time in a long time that Oak Cliff has been in this position. Um, so there's a lot of energy and momentum around that team, around that program. Um, and one of those players is apparently coming to TCU. He has been committed to Arizona before he flipped today, um, or flipped on Sunday, that is. He has offers from Indiana, Arizona State, Cal. Uh, measurements, he stands at six foot tall, 195. I think it's a good addition. It's another Dallas-Fort Worth player that is coming to TCU. But what I really wanted to focus on today is not so much the class itself, but I just want to talk about what Sonny Dykes and this coaching staff have done in a short amount of time and how vastly different it is from what TCU kind of had rolling in the past. And TCU did a good job recruiting under Gary Patterson, especially in Big 12, you know, cycles. Like they were kind of right there, you know, in that second tier behind Texas and Oklahoma. Um, but I think from a branding perspective, from a social media perspective, uh, they had fallen behind. They were not at the forefront of kind of making like things like graphics pop and having attention to detail, having a unified sort of message when it comes to recruiting. And you might listen to this and say, well, why does that matter? <laughs> you know, ultimately it's about player development. It's about scouting. It's about finding the guys you want. And I would agree with a lot of that. I would just say this. I know these sound like small things, but the activity from this coaching staff on social media, the unified graphics that they use when they're talking about the 2022 class, the hashtags that they're using, um, the way the creative video team is putting together, you know, fun, exciting content for these guys when they come on official visits. This is huge. Like this is very important in recruiting 
in 2022 or 2021, what, you know, whatever year you want to say it is right now. It's 2021, but the class that's coming up is a 2022 class. That might not matter to you, but I think it matters to the young men that are making these decisions because in my mind, here's what it, here's what it tells, here's what it communicates to these guys, either consciously or subconsciously. If TCU is sort of branding itself as the school of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, um, if they kind of have a unified front on the messaging that they're giving these players, come be a part of something big. Come be a part of something exciting. Be a part of something that's growing. And if the team wins and if you individually play well, then there are going to be opportunities for you to build your own brand. And you might cringe at the word brand and sort of, you know, scoff at like the individuality of that. But I think in the era of name, image, and likeness, these things matter. And I just feel like it's a a big step up from what had been going on in the prior regime as far as branding, messaging, trying to get out in front and tell people who TCU is. Now, will it show up in the recruiting rankings of this class? I don't know. Right now, they sit at ninth in the Big 12. They're 70th in the country. Uh, I think they can go up from that, but, you know, we'll see how much. I don't know how much they can make up in the next few days before early signing day. I think there's an opportunity for them to maybe make up some ground for that second signing day, but you also don't know how many big names are going to be out there because a lot of these kids now are signing in December so they can enroll earlier, signing in December so they don't have to worry about it. That's kind of become the new official signing day in a lot of ways. Um, maybe you see some more players hold off because there's been so much upheaval around the country with coaching changes, but I still think a, a large number of players from this pool are going to sign uh, this week. So that'll sort of limit what you can do for, you know, the February cycle. So I don't know if TCU is actually going to end up, you know, in the top 50, 40, 30 in the nation, or if they'll end up in the top, you know, three or four in the big 12. But I think all things considered, this coaching staff has done a really good job um, getting out in front of high school coaches, getting out in front of players, holding some official visit weekends, They've done a lot with uh, with less. And there's still some concerns. I mean, there's really no crown jewel of an offensive lineman in this class. There's only a couple of defensive linemen, even though I think there might be some good news on that front in the coming days. Um, so there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. And this is a, a transition recruiting cycle in a lot of ways. And they're probably going to have to fill some holes in that roster through the transfer portal. They might have to go heavier in the transfer portal than they would most years. But I'm excited about the direction this is going. I think in, you know, two weeks, they've done some, some pretty amazing things and getting some guys on campus and getting them to commit, and we'll see how this all shakes out um, before Wednesday in that early signing period. When we come back, I want to talk about CC basketball. They had uh, a big win. Both the men and women had a big win over Texas A&M over the weekend, and we'll discuss that next. This is Locked on Horn Frogs. Okay, uh, segment number two of Locked on Horn Frogs coming your way. I said it before the break, TCU basketball, both the men and women getting victory. So we'll start with the men. 
They hold on and they beat Texas A&M 68 to 64 on Saturday night. It was a uh, sloppy game at times. TCU got off to a really nice start. You know, they played well. They had a 10-point lead. Um, at halftime, they had a 10-point lead. They're at 33-23. Texas A&M made a push early in the second half, tied that game up. But in the end, uh, TCU rolled along and made it happen. And I want to start by talking about the job that Eddie Lampkin did. He continues to just be an absolute force when he's on the floor in making things happen and giving the team quality minutes. He had 10 points and 10 rebounds in 23 minutes. He was 5 of 7 from the field. And he's doing all this offensively really off second chance points on hustle plays. I mean, they're not running the offense through him, but he's still finding ways to get the double digits in scoring. He's diving on the floor. He's getting rebounds. He's tipping the ball back in off misses, you know, I'm sure you've heard the story. Like, he lost a lot of weight in the offseason. He's in fantastic shape. And he's worked his way into being the starting guy, into being the starting dude in that five role. Uh, and he's playing really, really well. So, shout out to him. I know this was a big deal for him personally. That game was because it was played at the Toyota Center in Houston, and he's a Houston guy. So, he got to go back home, and he showed out. Uh, I believe you could argue the biggest takeaway from this win other than it's a, another winning as a quality opponent. This is two wins in a row. Now, neither of these teams were ranked, right? Utah and Texas A&M. But technically, both wins were on a neutral floor. Even though the Utah game was in Fort Worth, it was still not at Shawmire Arena. Um, A&M game was definitely on a neutral floor. And these are good resume builders. So this is encouraging. Um, but as far as the game itself goes, Mike Miles really struggled offensively. Now, I would say that is a concerning thing from the standpoint of this is not the first time you've seen Mike have an off-shooting night. Now, he was 4 of 14, only 12 points, 1 of 5 from 3, played better in the second half, but still really struggled to score. And I just feel like there's been too many of those games for Mike in non-conference play. You know, he's also had some great moments. I mean, he's coming off that Utah game, which is probably his best game of the season. But the, the ups and downs and sort of the swings in production have been too inconsistent for my liking for a guy that I just expect. I, I expect him to be really good just about every night. And I, I know that's in a lot of ways an unfair expectation, but I just I think there's been too many of these these games for him where he's just kind of scraping and clawing to get the double digits, and he's not been real efficient. However, they still won the game. Even though he's your best shot creator, he's your best scorer, and he didn't play great, you know, you still beat a good Texas A&M team, another team that's improved drastically. Uh, two unsung heroes on this team. One is Damian Ball. Um, Ball's just been great. Now, the the scoring numbers have don't pop off the page. Like, he's got – he had nine points, didn't shoot the ball well from the field. He's averaging eight points and four rebounds a game, but he's averaging three and a half assists, and he just runs the offense really well. He's athletic. He gets up and down the floor. He gets the team into their sets, and he's allowed Mike Miles to play off the ball more, which is huge. And the most consistent player on this team might be Emmanuel Miller. I mean, you just know what you're going to get from him every night. It's almost a double-double each and every night, even though on uh, Saturday – he only had three rebounds, so wasn't crashing the boards like he typically does. 
but had 13 points, was 6-9 from the field. Like, he's just been solid every single night. He's averaging 10 points and six boards on the season, and you just know you're going to get great effort from him, you know, crashing the crashing the boards, getting second-chance opportunities, getting points within the flow of the offense. And then Chuck O'Bannon um, was great off the bench. He actually led the scoring effort with 18 points and was 6 of 11 from the field. So, again, this team is deeper than last year. I think they are much improved. The The issue that I see, and, you know, we won't know how this all – kind of figures itself out until the games are actually played. But I just don't know how many teams they're in the Big 12 and they're better than. Like, it's hard for me to sit here right now and be like, oh, yeah, they're definitely better than, you know, an improved Iowa State team. Obviously, Baylor's going to be the number one team in the country probably today, you know, as you're listening to this. Um, Kansas is really good. West Virginia's solid. Like, you just go down the list. There's a lot of good teams in this league, but encouraging signs from TCU men's basketball. And the TCU women, they beat Texas A&M 87-75 to in Fort Worth, moving to 4-4 four and four on the season. It was only A&M's second loss in the year they came into the game, ranked uh, 18th in the country. So a big ranked win for the Frogs. Lauren Hurd went off. She had 33 points. Aja Holmes had 22 points off the bench. Obviously, you're scoring 87 points, a really efficient night offensively there. By 20 points at halftime, A&M rallied, but they were able to hold off and get a victory. And this is kind of the first, I would say this is the first signature win TCU women have had in a while. I mean, they were they should have been in the tournament a couple of years ago before COVID hit. And then last year was just really tough all around. But this was a big win over a ranked opponent. Um, I'm excited for them. I'm happy for them. Excited for Reagan Peebley. There were some videos on social media going around uh, on Sunday afternoon of the team celebrating with her. Like, you could just tell this was a, hey, it's been a little while since we've kind of been in the mix like this. Let's go get it done. Let's get a victory. And they are able to do that. So exciting weekend for TCU basketball on, you know, both the men's and women's side. TCU football, uh, early signing period coming up fast. All that and more all this week on Locked on Horned Frogs. This is uh, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Your team every day.